Hello and welcome to the Our Dad Stamps podcast. My name is Pete West and I've spent half a lifetime collecting stamps and more than 10 years buying and selling them. In these podcasts I want to share some personal stories, tips and tricks that I've learned along the way and maybe encourage a few non-philatelists to take up this fascinating and absorbing hobby. I hope you enjoy the podcast. Welcome again to another Our Dad Stamps podcast. My name's Pete. And I'm Sheila. And what are we talking about today, Pete? Well, today we're going to talk about the printing of King Edward VII stamps. Edward VII came to the throne in January 1901. At that time, the um, contract for printing stamps in the UK was held by De La Rue, a company formed by Thomas De La Rue. And they'd held the contracts since 1855 to print surface printed stamps and, in fact, all British stamps from 1880. Hold on a minute. What's a surface printed stamp? Okay, surface printed stamps. Originally, the penny black, when the penny black was printed, it was done by an engraver carving out the image onto a block and then the ink would fill that block, and it was the gaps that then produced the image of Queen Victoria. Surface printed is the other way round. On surface printed stamps, it's the raised portion that is coated in ink, and that is then transferred onto paper to, to print the stamps. It was a much more efficient process and allowed a lot more stamps to be printed with one plate, so it was cheaper as well. And De La Rue had perfected this process and consequently won the contract for, for printed stamps in the UK. And so they'd held the, stamp, the contract for almost 50 years when Edward VII came to the throne. They continued with the same process. They were asked to produce new stamps for the king and decided to use the same design as they had for the Queen Victoria stamps. The Queen Victoria stamps had only been in, in print for about four years, and so the vast majority of the new stamps were exactly the same design, but instead of Victoria's head, they put in um, Edward VII's head in its place. There was one new design they used, and it was the same design used for the halfpenny, the penny, tuppence halfpenny, and sixpenny stamp. The halfpenny stamp was in blue-green, the penny stamp bright red, the Tuppany Hapney was blue, ultramarine, and the sixpence was purple. And the colour of those stamps is significant because two years after they were produced, the post office had received loads of complaints from members of the public and from the post office workers that under the, the very dim candlelight that everybody used in those days, it was almost impossible to tell the difference between the halfpenny stamp and the sixpenny stamp, and lots of mistakes were being made. So did they not print the actual the, the, numbers? The, the numbers were on the stamp, but in, in dim light, they largely went by colour rather than, rather than looking at detail, and, and mistakes were happening. So they were forced to change the colour of the halfpenny stamp to a pale yellow-green instead of blue-green. Other than that, 
the stamps stayed the same virtually throughout his whole reign. Even the high-value ones were exactly the same as, as Queen Victoria, and all the stamps produced were in operation within a year of Edward VII coming to the throne. Round about 1907-1908, the, the Inland Revenue decided that the cost of producing stamps was getting too high, and they wanted to try and save some money. So they asked De La Rue if they could change some of the stamps from being two-coloured stamps, most of the stamps were produced in two colours, to a single colour. And so in November 1909, the Faulkner stamp changed from being brown and green to just plain orange. And De La Rue set about designing two new stamps in single colours to comply with the wishes of the Inland Revenue. Uh, in May 1910, they produced a sevenpence grey stamp and had also produced uh, a tuppenny stamp in Tyrian Plum. The sevenpenny stamp was released on the 4th of May, um, but there were still quite a few copies of the, of the old two-piece stamp in place, so they didn't release that at that time. And then on the 6th of May, the king died, so the Tuppany Tyrian Plum stamp was withdrawn from, from service and was never actually issued. And almost all the copies of that stamp were destroyed. There were an imperforate sheet has been saved and one perforated sheet was kept with one stamp removed from the corner. And the stamp from the corner was removed by the Secretary of Stamps at the Inland Revenue and posted to King George V, who was a, a well-renowned stamp collector. Now, that is the only used stamp of the Tuppany Tyrian Plum in existence in the world. I'm assuming the Secretary of the Stamps was after a knighthood or something, because he wasn't supposed to do something like that. And I don't know if anything was ever said about him doing it, but uh, the Royal Collection holds the only stamp it's very interesting, and I'm, I'm going to go back to the question of the Inland Revenue decided that the cost of printing two-colour stamps was too expensive. Well, it's not rocket science to work out if you're going to print a stamp in one colour, it's going to be less expensive than printing them in two colours. I mean, that's not rocket science. But I'd be very interested to know what is the actual markup if you're selling a stamp for these days i don't know let's say 60p how much does it cost to produce i mean i don't expect you to have that information but i would be very interested I have and i love the way that the inland revenue the bean counters took them quite some time to work out a two color printed stamp was going to be more expensive than one color so well done inland revenue <laughs> well it, it was um there's lots of dare i say politics that, that went into it up until the Queen Victoria set, which came out in 1887, all the stamps were in single colours because it was easier to do. And when De, De La Rue came up with the process of printing two coloured stamps, they were held as marvellous. Everybody liked the look of them and it did a good job of promoting Britain around the world in that they could produce these nice stamps. So there was a plus point to producing two coloured stamps. But for some reason, the Inland Revenue at that point wanted to save money and so asked for single-coloured stamps. 
And that point actually brings me on to the next thing about the Edward VII stamps. Because well, you said Union Revenue. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, it does, it does um, involve the Union Revenue. The contract for, for producing stamps was up for renewal in 1910. Delarue obviously thought since they'd had the contract for 50 years, it would just be a formality. So they were asked to submit an estimate and they sent off their quote. And the Indian Revenue didn't like it. They wanted to save money. So they asked Delarue to negotiate and the Delarue refused completely, saying, this is our price, take it or leave it, thinking that they would retain the contract. So the government approached a company called Harrison's and Sons it's not known how much money they saved by changing the contract because it did involve a lot. But eventually Harrison's and Sons got the contract. But there was one slight problem. Harrison's and Sons could only produce stamps of a single colour. They weren't able to produce bicoloured stamps. And since all the designs at that time were in two colours, they weren't in a position to take over the, the printing of the other stamps. Initially, Delarue was were asked if they would share the contract, and Delarue refused that as well. So the printing of the bicoloured stamps was done by Somerset House, which was the the government's own printing press. And so you had the strange situation where single coloured stamps were printed by Harrison's and Sons, and two coloured stamps were printed by, uh, as I said, Somerset House. And this took place around about the time of the king's death. So the new contractor, Harrison's and Sons, were asked to produce a new design for what was being King George V stamps. Having never produced stamps before, it took them some time to come up with a design. When the design did come out, they produced a design for just a halfpenny and a penny stamp initially, which was printed and issued, but was met with derision by most of the public and the, the philatelic world because they were of such poor quality. Nobody liked them. And, and basically, they had to go back to the drawing board to produce another set that would be suitable. This of process, of course, takes time. And in fact, King Edward VII stamps carried on being printed up until 1913, which was three years after the king had died because the new printers, Harrison's and Sons, weren't able to come up with a good enough replacement until that time. I mean, the whole thing's just a complete shambles, isn't it? It does seem a complete disaster, yes, yes. As I said, obviously it saved the Inland Revenue a lot of money, which is what they, what they wanted, but it wasn't a good period of time at all in, in terms of stamps produced and the way the government conducted itself. So, yeah, it was a bit of a mess. And as I said, it wasn't until 1913 that they produced something worthy of replacing the Edward VII stamps. So, interesting story. There were only ever 19 different stamps produced for Edward VII. His reign lasted just over nine years, so he wasn't around for that long. But it was basically one set with a couple of variations. However, because of all the shenanigans with Harrison's and Sons and Somerset House printing and De La Rue, there are a huge amount of varieties of stamps. For the avid collector, you are able to tell the difference between the De La Rue printing, the Somerset House printing and the Harrison and Sons printing. 
So in many stamps, there's three different versions of that particular stamp to collect, as well as numerous shade differences. There's obviously, if you can get hold of a Tyrian plum stamp, you will be very lucky. There are a few apparently mint stamps available, sorry, not available, but around in the world. But as I said, the only used one is in the Royal Collection. So it's an interesting period in stamp collecting, one well worth looking into further if you are interested. I was just thinking about the story about Somerset House taking over the printing. I've come to believe through the podcast that the printing of stamps is quite a specialised process. So I'm quite surprised that the government managed to put together some system for printing stamps at all. I have to agree with you there. I I looked at that, and to be honest, I can't find much about how they went about the process. Most of the stories just say that the printing of the bicoloured stamps were moved to Somerset House, full stop. But my thought is if they could produce stamps then, why weren't Somerset House used to print all stamps? Well, that, that's the whole thing, isn't it? I mean, there is obviously some story behind it all. It could be that they couldn't deal in such large quantities and because they were only dealing with parts of the set, not all of the stamps, that they were able to cope with it. But maybe somebody to listening to this podcast, a family member, maybe worked at the government or even worked at Somerset House and could have the answer. It's an interesting story to develop. That would be a good question to put out there. Does anybody know any more information about the printed stamps at Somerset House in London? Indeed, yes. Very good. Okay, well, thank you for listening and we'll see you again next week. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to my podcast. I hope you've enjoyed it and maybe you've learnt a little too. I would love to hear from you with your tips and stories. I can be found on Facebook and Instagram as Our Dad Stamps, as well as through my online shops at eBay and DevCamp. Listen again next week for another episode of the Our Dad Stamps podcast.